Amen. Thank you for tuning us in. I'm Daryl Bailey as we look to servants for Christ as uh, Wednesday in the Word tonight. Uh, this is August the 23rd, 2023, uh, the 6th of Elu, 5783 of the Hebrew calendar. Here uh, tonight as we get into our Wednesday in the Word, I want to talk to you about the most powerful chapter in the Bible. The most powerful chapter in the Bible, and that's Genesis 3. Of the particular verse is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a very, very powerful scripture. And so when we look and we begin to realize that uh, uh, from this scripture, that uh, if we take Genesis 3 out of the Bible, we have absolutely no reason for the 1186 chapters that follow it. Because if sin did not come into the world as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, then certainly God would not be so foolish as to write 1186 chapters to tell how sin must be cared for. And so, uh, if we take the third chapter of Genesis out of the Bible, we might as well take the 19th chapter of John uh, out of uh, the, the New Testament. Uh, because the 19th chapter of John deals with the crucifixion of Christ. And if sin did not come into the world, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, then certainly Jesus Christ did not need to go to the cross for the only reason for Calvary was human sin. And that's why this is one of the most important and the most powerful chapter in the Bible, Genesis 3. And so, you know what? Whenever you show us a man who denies the history of Genesis 3, I can always show you a man who denies salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, this is one of the greatest texts, the most important, the most powerful chapter in the Bible because it contains a verse, and it's the seed plot of the entire Bible. Everything that we see there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I'm going to read the entire chapter because this is a very powerful chapter. Uh, when I get down to verse 15, we'll see that he says something like, the words of God to Satan after the fall of man. He says, and I, other words, God, will put enmity between thee, other words, Satan, and the woman Eve, and between thy seed, which is the seed of the serpent, and her seed, the seed of the woman, and it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head, Satan's, and thou, Satan, shall bruise his, the seed of the woman's heel. And so the Bible is nothing but an expansion of this very verse of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so we can follow the truth of this verse all the way through the Old Testament, out into the New, and see it coming because the very last chapters in the book of Revelation back it up. And so here we see in this verse alone the first and the second comings of Christ. In the first coming of Christ, his heel was bruised. In the second coming of Christ, the serpent's head is to be crushed. The head and the heel uh, of this verse, they're, they're not literal, okay? 
They're figures of speech that brings us to the thought of the earth life of Christ represented by the heel and the rulership of Satan represented by the head. And so many times in Scripture, God uses the figurative of the foot to set forth the life that we all live. And so Satan is spoken of in Scripture as the prince of this world and the God of this age. And so uh, this verse, the second coming of Christ, is mentioned before the first coming. And so the virgin birth of Christ, the seed of the woman, that's what it means. And, of course, he's the only one Will all the millions of earth that have uh, stands out as the seed of the woman. Uh, he's not the seed of Adam. Human fatherhood cannot enter in at all. The man who does not believe in the virgin birth of Christ must cut Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, out of the scriptures. Because in this verse, we've got the death of Christ. Thou shalt bruise his head. And it refers to the suffering and the death of Christ, which was accomplished by Satan. And through a literal bruising of the heel, Satan entered into Judas to accomplish his evil purpose. And so, this verse, we have the resurrection of Christ for the seed of the woman, who is put to death by the serpent, afterward crushes and destroys the one who put him to death. And so, here in Genesis 3.15, we have the enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And this is the enmity between an antichrist and Christ. This, as we see, that you are now looking at the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation when you speak of this chapter. You know why? Because uh, where you see the outcome of every bit of this is right there in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. Christ is victorious. The beast and the false prophet are both cast alive into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Praise the mighty name of Jesus for that in the coming days. Because in this verse, we have the enmity between Satan himself and the seed of the woman. The crushing of the head of the serpent means more than the crushing of a, of a bony skull. And it means the overthrow of Satan's plans and plots and policies and purposes. And you are now in the last chapters of the book of Revelation. For there is the record of this accomplishment. Wow, if that ain't powerful. And so we have the declaration of Satan's failure. He said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. And there's no doubt that Satan planned that these two in the Garden of Eden with all the multiplied millions of descendants should be his slaves forever and ever. Listen to me. But God planted within the heart that faith faculty, which uh, basically should be able to resist the devil and bring freedom from his bondage. And so in this verse, we've got regeneration. And for certainty, there's never been enmity between anyone and Satan unless that one has been born from above. The mind of the flesh is always enmity uh, against God. And only through the Spirit is there enmity uh, between Satan. The importance of this chapter, the powerfulness of this chapter, is seen in the fact that we have in it, in type, for the very first time in Scripture, salvation through the blood of a substitute, and through the faith of a man. Hallelujah. And so it pictures a very vivid way, salvation from sin by the grace of God. There is some, 
as we look at this and we see that Genesis 3 gives us the history of the entrance of sin into the world and into the human race itself and the chaotic condition of this world today that all can be explained on no other grounds than right here in the most powerful chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, all the way down to verse 15. Sin is not a theory, but it's a fact. It's tragic and it's stubborn. We can never appreciate the awfulness of it until we look, hallelujah, at Calvary. And so we look and we begin to realize that the serpent uh, that we have before us, he tells us, he says, and let me stop here and, and, and have a word of prayer. And I want to give praise because um, we look and realize that uh, Josh and Anna Faircloth, their youngest uh, child, Ella, has been given a great miracle that she no longer has a hole in her heart, that it has come together. And I want to give glory and praise for all the prayers that goes all the way back to People's Valley Baptist Church and let them know thank you for the prayers that that miracle has taken place and that hole is sealed up and is no longer there and her heart has been uh, healed and changed by the name of Jesus Christ. I praise his mighty name and thank all the prayer warriors uh, from days past of this wonderful answer to prayer. I want to continue remembering Betty Black, my aunt that had fallen, uh, my cousin Denise Davis uh, for her healing and recovery. Uh, for Barbara Yarber, my uncle's uh, wife that had, uh, uh, that he passed, and praying for her and uh, Michelle and uh, uh, Lamar and uh, the Jenkins family, as uh, we'll be having the viewing Thursday night from 5 to 8, as you come together and pray for the Jenkins family, and uh, the funeral that'll be uh, Friday at 11 o'clock at Owen's uh, funeral home. Uh, also, want to uh, pray for a pastor for Utopia uh, Missionary Baptist Church over in Villarica that we've been with them. And also, I want to pray for my own pastor, Pastor Keith and Amy uh, Dempsey, and for all of our church at Bethel Crossroads. I want to send out an extension of that prayer uh, to uh, uh, Pastor Michael uh, at People's Valley, him and his wife and family, and we lift them up boldly each and every day. Father, we ask you to intervene in the areas of these lives. I pray for Shelva Baker, uh, Lita's uh, aunt that has cancer as well. And I pray and ask you to intervene, Father, that you will help each and every one that is struggling with sin. Lord, help them to get back in and get into uh, step out on faith and take you at your word. Now, Lord, tonight we're so honored to speak on your word and what it offers. It has power. And, Lord, it is so important the word of God. And so I pray that, Lord, let it continue to be fulfilled every day. All of the prophecies, all of the teachings of the word of God, how powerful they are. And I pray, God, that help us to be able to bring out the word of God in all of the areas that are important, that needs to be heard and heeded to tonight in our Wednesday in the word. Thank you so much for saving us. I pray for our wife, Lita, and Lord, for uh, the diabetes and for the, the problems that she's having with her legs and the blisters that are on them now. And I pray for a healing for them completely in the name of Jesus. I pray God, Lord, for these insurance companies that make things difficult for people to take the medicine that they need to take. 
and Lord, it is highway robbery of the what the cost is of medicines today across this country. It is unheard of. It's un it's unfathomable to be able to pay these prices of these pharmaceutical companies. But Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you'll resolve all issues, not only with my wife, but for all Americans, for all people in the world that are having the same difficulties. Lord, as uh, uh, the gentleman sung this song, uh, Lord uh, Oliver Anthony, that uh, sung uh, about how that uh, uh, we've been taken a, a advantage of uh, by the rich men uh, from uh, the north. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray, God, that you will just touch us tonight and let your word and truth go forth in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, what we see is Satan desires that we question God's word. You know, as the curtain opens in chapter 3, with Satan in the form of a serpent, questioning, really, he looked like the, the cherubim that he was with the music, the brightness of light, as Lucifer's name stands for. He, he bedazzled everybody, and especially the woman, because he didn't, he didn't appear with a pitchfork and a horns. And so Satan's first words were poisoning Eve's mind with the seeds of doubt. And the tactic is found all throughout the scriptures. What the serpent really was like. The Bible says that he was very subtle and cunning. He may have been uh, very beautiful too. But the Hebrew word for serpent is natash, which means shining upright creature. And it's possible that the serpent may have walked upright, but this creature was able to speak just like Balaam's donkey in Numbers chapter 22, verse 28. The note that the three chapters from the beginning of the Bible, Satan appears, and three chapters from the end of the Bible, we see his final destruction. Satan's weapon that he used upon Eve, were, again, for a moment, it was the doubting and the questioning of the authority of the accuracy of God's word, and this is one of Satan's most effective weapons. Doubt brings fear and uncertainty and hesitancy in obeying and believing God. And when we doubt or question God, we have a tendency to take matters into our own hands and then really mess things up for good. Christians do not read and study God's word. And because their doubts and lack of confidence in the word of God, defeated believers claim that Bible principles don't really work or apply in the lack of confidence in the word of God. And so they're defeated believers uh, because they don't know the principles of the word of God. And so Satan is winning a victory in many Americans' lives, and the result is you will become unstable and waver back and forth in your spiritual life and become ineffective in making your life count for Christ. You can marry the wrong partner. You can get involved and get deeper than you've ever got because you have wavered and believed a, a lie from the very depths of hell. And so, good examples of this. Peter's doubt caused him to sink into the sea, Matthew 14, 31. The disciples were fearful in the storm because of doubt in Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Thomas doubted Christ's resurrection unless he could see him. And so we see, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. 
the seriousness of misquoting God. Because here, Eve's reply to the serpent, she adds to God's word. She says that she'll die if she eats of the fruit or touches it. God said nothing about touching the fruit. Tampering with God's word is a very serious matter. And God does not like his word to be perverted or misquoted. And we don't like our words twisted or misquoted. And I'm telling you, as every one of us, from Genesis, we find that God's word is pure and true. And God does not keep his word uh, 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 as he did uh, with Sarah's uh, because we look and we begin to realize that uh, God does uh, always keep his word as he did with Sarah. I'll get it out right in a minute, excuse me, uh, because of Eve's perverting of God's word shows the trait of carelessness in her life. And so here in the context, carelessness is failing to see accuracy follow the destruction. Eve was not the only one with this trait in Genesis. Lot was careless in his living in Sodom in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. His family was ruined. Esau carelessly sold his birthright for food in Genesis chapter 25, verse 33, sacrificing his future on the altar of the present. And so, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. You see, Eve added things to it. And so, here we look. And we begin to realize that he tells us the seriousness of misquoting. And the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. He says, you won't die. That's the first lie that comes from Satan right there. The scripture refers to Satan as the father of all lies in John 8, 44. And so the first lie is from Satan and he attacks God's ability to carry out judgment. And Satan says, you shall not surely die. Liberals today claim that there's no hell or God won't send anyone to hell. But the opposite uh, uh, is true because there is a hell and people who die without Jesus as their Savior will go there. I promise you that is what the Word of God teaches. That's the what the Word of God says. And this lie is the first of approximately 13 references to lying in Genesis. Lying causes problems for the one who lies and the person lied to. And so sin has many tools, but a lie is a, a handle that fits them all. And God, he says several things about lying. But I'm going to tell you, let me move on for the sake of time. The first lie that comes from Satan, you won't die. For God hath for God doeth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so, Satan makes promises that he cannot keep. Uh, Satan declared to Eve, you won't die. But death did come. He promised their eyes would be open, and they would be as gods, and their eyes were open. But eventually, clothed in death, and they did not become gods. Wisdom is never stained by disobeying God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom of Proverbs 1.7. And Christians need to be attained by disobeying God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so Christians need, by, be, uh, need to be careful to whom they listen to and get good counsel from. Because 
make sure your counsel, guidance, or advice is scriptural. Be careful of the companions you keep company with day by day. The wrong kind of friends can destroy your spirituality. And so Eve received her guidance from Satan, and it ruined the entire human race. And so the wrong kind of friends can destroy you spiritually. Here, Noah and Enoch received their guidance from God as they walked with him. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Their obedience brought blessings to their lives. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And so the anatomy of the first temptation is here in verse 6, the foundational verse in the Bible, for it contains the factors that are involved in the first temptation, the failure, and sin of the human race, and like a wet sponge, you can squeeze out all the goodies that are found in this passage, because John said that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. These elements are not found along with the other insights, and so it's sad that, uh, that we look and realize that a bad choice Adam and Eve chose to destroy, uh, disobey God and we are not robots or puppets on a string. God gave us the ability to choose. He gave us uh, the, the ability uh, for free will. And ultimately, we do not always make the right choices. Bad choices are made all through Genesis. And so, our choices in life as Christians should be based on God's Word. Stay in the Word of God each day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And so, when you have the wrong goal, the goal of Satan was to ruin Adam and Eve. He accomplished this by tempting Eve to have the wrong goal of wanting to be like God. And when our priorities get mixed up, our goals in life are rearranged. And instead of being content, Eve felt that she was being cheated. Her attitude uh, affected her desires in life. She had to be like God even if it meant disobeying him. Wrong goals ruin our relationship with our Redeemer. What are your priorities? What are your goals? And one of them, to live and serve Jesus Christ daily. Paul pressed for the mark or the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Wrong goals surface in other chapters of Genesis. Nimrod had a goal of pride as he worked to build a tower to heaven and to be a god. Rebekah and Jacob's goal was to possess the blessing from Isaac. And no matter what it took, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 9 and uh, 10, these wrong goals caused these folks a lot of trouble. And so, the temptress, Eve, fell and now tempts Adam with a forbidden fruit and a relationship with Adam. Unless Adam disobeys their relationship will be strained and broken. Adam's choice breaks his close fellowship with God. Adam wasn't deceived, however. He sinned with his eyes wide open, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And at this point, I'm going to tell you something. In our uh, dating life, be careful who you date or even marry. Many a Christian has backslidden because they dated and they married a lost person or a carnal person and it will destroy your life. 
And so we see, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves aprons. The first consequences of sin, man's tragic fall from perfection, that he covers his sin will not prosper. And so we look and we begin to realize that after disobeying God, the eyes of Adam and Eve were open. Guilt had now opened their eyes and they could see the other side of the fence. They found out that grass was not greener on the other side. They did not like what they saw as they attempted to cover themselves with fig trees. Man has been trying to cover himself before God ever since that time. Instead of coming to Christ, men look to the good works of religion and priests to get them to heaven. And these are the fig leaves of humanism that will not cover or cleanse man's sins. Only the blood of Christ will cleanse us from sin and restore our relationship with the Lord. Amen. And so... We look and we begin to realize that most horrible thing ever is that the most powerful chapter of the Bible here in Genesis chapter 3. And so uh, we go and they heard in verse 8 the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know what? Let me tell you something. We can't hide from God. And with their consciences activated, guilt works like an acid on the soul of Adam and Eve. Hmm. The effects of their sin were immediate. And after their futile attempts to cover themselves, they attempt to hide from the Lord that loved them, even though they have covered themselves with fig leaves. And they reveal their guilt because they're hiding from the Lord. Only Jesus Christ can free us from the shackles of sin. Adam and Eve's close fellowship with the Lord is now strained. Their delight is now a delusion. Our loving Lord sought them out. And though they went astray, he's still seeking out men and women this very night, inviting them to accept him as their Lord and Savior. The very first question asked by God was, where art thou? Huh? And so, and the Lord God called unto Adam and he said unto him, where art thou? Here are those consequences of sin, of man's tragic fall from perfection, amen. We can't hide from God. Uh-uh, no. And so here we see that Adam admits to the Lord that he's afraid. Guilt is used by God to motivate. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And so uh, here the effects of sin continue as guilt brought about shame and fear. Adam admits to the Lord that he's afraid. Guilt is used by God to motivate us to repent. Fellowship with God and others can be restored by taking responsibility for your sin and not just justifying it, confessing your sin to God and those that we've wronged and offended and Satan uses guilt to blackmail us as to go deeper and deeper into sin. And so, he reminds us of our past and convinces that we can't serve the Lord. And the devil motivates us to rationalize and justify our sins to make us feel better. But the effects are only temporary. And it's the crucial that we clear our consciences with God and man. And if we're to have victory in our Christian life, how do we deal with our fear? The book of Genesis provides us 
with the insights to answer that. We must realize that God is our protector and our shield in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. We must realize that God is our uh, provider uh, in Genesis 21, 17. We must realize that God is our uh, provenience and source of blessing in Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. And we must realize that God is our pathfinder and he'll give us directions according to Genesis chapter 46, verse 3. And so we can't hide from God. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hath thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the passing of that book, the blame shifting, is one of the things that we're all good at today. God confronts Adam about his fear. He doesn't waste any time in getting the source of the problem by asking, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam, he catches the, the and passes the, the buck on to accusations to someone else. And so uh, he blames God and the woman, making excuses for his own sin. And the woman you gave to me made me eat the fruit was Adam's defense. You know what? When Eve is confronted, she plays follow the leader and tries to justify herself by blaming the serpent. And neither one will take the responsibility for their sin, neither Adam nor Eve. Only when we look at our sin as God sees it, can we begin to get victory in our life over temptation, over sin. Hallelujah. It is our pride that keeps us from doing this, and it eventually destroys us. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so it reveals for the very first time tension in the family of Adam and Eve. Sin put a strain on their relationship as it does all of our families. And so it fills our families with tensions due to the sin of men. And so of all the examples that are all throughout the Bible that begins to show us this, amen. But I thank God. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Hmm. And the Lord God said in the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent begotted me and I did eat. And so eight other important prophecies that are given in the book of Genesis, amen, that we look at because here we're getting into one of the first prophecies of scripture, verses 14 and 15 of Genesis chapter three of the most important chapter in the Bible, the most powerful chapter in the Bible. Because when we look, we see the curse of Canaan's descendants. We see Israel's bondage in Egypt, Ishmael's future, Abraham's descendants, Esau's future, the butler and the baker's future, the future famine of Egypt, Judah shall be the ruling tribe of the future of Israel. And all of these chapters that we see of these eight important prophecies given in the book of Genesis. And so the crime of Adam's sin resulted in the curse on creation. And the serpent is cursed to crawl on its belly, possibly indicating it was originally an upright creature. But the 15th is known as the, the, the proto- or the first gospel. It's the prophecy of Christ dealing with the future death blow to Satan's head, which began at the cross of Calvary and will finish when Jesus cast him into the lake of fire. In Revelation 19 on the cross, Satan caused Christ to suffer greatly, bruising his heel. And so, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, 
because thou hast done this. Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shall thou go and dust shall thou all eat all the days of thy life. Hear the first prophecy of the scriptures. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this. Oh, excuse me. Hear the first judgment upon sin. Judgment upon the tempter, that old serpent called the devil. And he says, and I continue on in verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here, the first prophecy of the scriptures that comes out, amen. That God begins to get a hold of us. God begins to tell us some of the things that we need to expect, amen. When we begin to look and begin to realize that God is going to deal with us in such a way uh, that, uh, believe it or not, when we begin to look and realize that God knows uh, best for us, when we see uh, here that this is the judgment, this is the judgment, because verses 14, 15, they've, they, they're the one uh, that uh, is going to bring about uh, uh, God knows all things. He knows the future. He knows everything. And so as we go forward, he tells us in uh, verse 16, under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And so the sweetness of the forbidden fruit quickly sours. The chickens were coming home to roost. The seeds of disobedience were about to be reaped. And so, what do we see? The creation and the fall of man. In that fall, the entire human race was plunged in the darkness, sin and death. In that terrible instant, when man sinned against God, man died and became spiritually separated from Almighty God. Man became helpless in the ability to get back in a right relationship with, with God. And from the moment mankind fell into sin, and ruin. God has made it his business to seek fallen man and to attempt to establish a relationship with him. And I'm telling you, in the story of the fall of Adam and immediate aftermath, God gives liberty. And I'm glad that every one of us, because when you go back to verse eight, he tells us that he came to them. God came to them in the garden. Man had transgressed the commandment of God and had sinned. There was a great gulf between man and God. But I'm telling you, he's still doing that same thing today. When sinners' hearts are stirred, he's made aware of that great love of God. It's just the Lord walking in the cool of the day, seeking fellowship. It is grace, and it is grace alone that allows God's holy word to come to us. A holy God. And thank God for his grace, amen. And so not only did he come to them, he came to them. But he called them. He didn't just come and look upon their misery. He called out the Adam in an effort to reach him. Man is dead in a sin until God awakens him to that fact. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that's when you become a candidate for salvation. It is only at the call of God that the sinner can be saved. According to Scripture, John 6.44 and John 6.65. Uh, because pure grace, that holy God, calls anyone into a love relationship with him. He did for the disciples. He did for you. He did for I. And so he came to them in verse 8. He called them in verse 9 and 10. And then in verse 11, he confronted them. 
God challenged man on the basis of his sin. God wasn't fishing for information. He knew what Adam and Eve had done. He already knew that. He has the knowledge. He is the creator. He was looking for a confession was what he was trying to get out of them. But what he got was accusation. And so we read that in verse 12, Adam's double accusation, God and the woman. This is what God does for the sinner. He reveals to us the sinfulness of our lives. He calls upon us to repent. That's why this is the most powerful chapter in the Bible. Amen. And so uh, it is pure grace that shows the sinner the error of their lifestyle. You're a homosexual. You know you don't need to be a homosexual. You need to change your lifestyle because God didn't create you that way. And I'm going to tell you something. No matter what you come out with, that is wrong. And so, listen, he didn't make it to where man and man and woman and woman. He didn't set up and establish the family that way. And without his revelation, we continue into hell. And it may be painful to see yourself as you really are, but until you do, you'll never see as need to be different. Because it is grace that challenges us in our lifestyle. Thank God that he doesn't just let us go and let us do any old way. The ministry of the Holy Spirit comes and it gets us and it begins to convicts us. Hallelujah. And so he began to chasten us and correct us because he loves us. And the various punishments that uh, he does for all sinners because this is the grace of God. He would have been within his rights to have killed Adam and Eve outright. But God's chastening and restraining hand stands as a reminder that there's a price on sin. And imagine just for a moment that God just allowed us to go on as we please without any checks and balances. We would all sin our way right into hell, into the deepest trouble that we've ever been in. And he chastens and corrects us to call our attention away from the pleasure of sin so that we might see this reality of sin. The ugliness and the defilement of it. Nobody likes to be corrected. But it's too the product of God's grace. And so what did he do? I thank God. Let's get uh, caught up. Sin's sweetness soon sour. The judgment upon sin and upon the woman. Under the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply, as I said. But in verse 17, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Curses the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And so, that sweetness, that desire, oh, that harshness, because every one of us, uh, the husband is to love and cherish his wife as Christ loved the church. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the battle of the sexes began and still continues today. That's why you got uh, all the woman's lib today. Oh, because the woman, uh, you know, that she feels like she's so left out that she needs to supersede beyond the man. Well, have you noticed all the movies and all here lately? They're uh, putting the woman up there. And, hey, I don't have any problem with that because, uh, you know, but, uh, but the thing is that maybe a woman was held back at such a time that now she feels like she's been cheated and she needs to supersede her husband and she needs to take over and, and be in charge of everything. But you know what? 
God gave us what we have. He gave us our places. He gave us our genders. He gave us everything that we have. And I'm telling you that the husband is to love and cherish his wife as Christ loved the church. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the battle of the sexes began and it continues to this day. The ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. He would toil and sweat to get his food. He sinned by eating and now he must suffer in order to eat. His eyes and his hands got him into trouble and the eyes would reap sorrow and the hands would reap toil to provide substance. Sin always carries a penalty. Be sure your sin will find you out in Numbers chapter 32 verse 23. And so every one of us, Cain was banished from the presence of the Lord. All eight, uh, uh, all but eight uh, were, de uh, were destroyed in the flood. The Sodomites at Lot's door were blinded. God destroyed Sodom with fire. Jacob's sons suffered from the guilt of their sin with Joseph for many years. And so, sin's sweetness soon sours. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shall thou return. And so, here we see that sin, it may appear sweet, but it was sour. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I'm going to tell you, here we see they're knocked down, but they ain't knocked out because Adam suffered a defeat and a failure, but he's not given up. Here it reveals his faith and hope as he gives his uh, companion his name, the name that she has, Eve. Her name means the mother of all living, not dying. You hear me? The mother of all living. And the name shows his hope for the future. The Lord provides coats of skins for both of them, which are so much better than those scratchy, itchy uh, fig leaves. And God's provision is so much better than ours. The coats of skin are a beautiful picture of Calvary, which will be looked at as we look at what uh, the covering of sin is all about, the sacrifice that he did for us on the cross of Calvary. And so, all of the punishments, all but Thank God for his grace because he, like I said, he could have done a number of things. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And so their sin became real when that animal died to cover their nakedness. They instantly realized that they were responsible. It was the grace of God that accepted the sacrifice of an, in, an innocent party to atone for the sins of the guilty. Our salvation is the same way tonight. It is pure grace that saves the sinner, cleanses him, clothes him, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, amen. And so, as we look and we begin to realize that every one of us, uh, as he covered them, salvation, uh, he gave us something that's not cheap because salvation isn't free, it costs something. The cross and the death of Jesus he faced there for sinners. It was pure grace in action. Grace is the sinner's only hope. And pure grace and nothing they can ever do that can atone for that sin is through grace that we enter salvation. And so, 
They were knocked down, but they were not knocked out. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Here she was the mother of all living, not the dying. Amen. The coats of skin, the beautiful picture of Calvary. Hallelujah. And so, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so, they got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. Hmm? I'm going to tell you, Adam and Eve now had the knowledge of good and evil, but they lost their purity. They lost their innocence. They lost their privilege to live in the Garden of Eden. And they lived in a perfect environment. But still, their character was affected by what, uh, their failure because every one of us today believe if you uh, improve the environment, you're going to improve a person's character. But that idea is not necessarily true. God decided to banish them from the Garden of Eden lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of death and alienation from God like the fallen angels would. Cherubims were placed at the east end of the Garden of Eden to guard the way of the tree of life. And so, as we look and we begin to realize that uh, it's sad that they got what they wanted but lost what they had. And so, the first act of deliverance or salvation, man is saved from living forever as a sinner in a fallen world, amen. And so I'm so thankful that when we look and realize that uh, that uh, as what God did for all of us, amen, uh, we see, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. But verse 24, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And so he commanded them because the implication of man being allowed access to the tree of life in a fallen state, a horrible hell that would have been because eternally separated from the presence and the love of God. That's what all sinners are going to do in the future in hell. His command is to cast them out. And it was a command of passion a command of grace. His grace is evident in our lives and the things that he keeps us from. He isn't some kind of one that wants to bring us harm. He wants to help us. He wants the best for you and I. Some things are off limits to us as children of God. It is grace that protects our testimonies and our fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Adam thought that it was the worst that could happen when all along it was the best possible solution to a terrible problem. Grace is why you and I can rest assured of a home in heaven in the coming days. And so thank God for grace this evening. It's evident of all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and it's still evident this Wednesday in the Word that we ought to praise God for His grace, rest in it with the full assurance of faith that His grace is truly amazing, praise God, because each and every one of us we realize that they got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. Boy, there's a lot of folks out there that that happens to them. It's sad because here is the most powerful chapter in the Bible, amen. Every one of us, when we go through life today, we have the greatest blessing that we could ever have in this walks of life. As I get ready to close out and as I ask the Lord this First act of deliverance of salvation, man is saved from living forever as a sinner in a fallen 
boy, I thank God each and every one of us as we go forward and we begin to realize that what the Lord wants to do for every one of us, amen. I'm glad uh, that uh, as we look and realize that uh, the most powerful chapter in the Bible, as we look and see that Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, from all of the cleverness, from all of the things that were permitted, uh, that was furnished, and all the bad choices that were made, I'm glad, and the curse that was uh, pronounced, the conflict that began to be promised, and the coats that were provided, the cherubims that were placed, the danger that was named, and the dismissal that was needed, everything that he does for us, because this, the most powerful chapter in the Bible, is our future, and it is the death of the enemy of Revelation 19.3. Father, thank you so much for your word. May it change somebody for the better to change of their ways and them to confess instead of playing the blame game and blaming as Adam did God and Eve and as Eve did the serpent. Father, help us to realize how important and how powerful the chapter, the third chapter of the book of Genesis is in the coming days. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in.